And what's next Sunday? Easter Sunday. I want to encourage you to invite somebody out to church on Easter Sunday. This week, I've uh, contacted four people, and I'm planning on talking with them personally to invite them out next Sunday. And I want to encourage you to invite somebody out to church to worship. And if they say why, you can say it's Easter. Sometimes people may not be open, but when you can say, hey, we have Easter service Sunday, there's that adds to it. And they say statistically, the percentage of people that actually respond to the invitation is in the percentage of 80% of the people that get a personal invitation actually will come to church. That's a pretty uh, strong, and that's based on some research that people, that wasn't just pulled out of the air, that wasn't a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, that was a, a word of fact. Uh, what they call a statistic. And uh, so I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. Don't just text them. Don't just put it on Facebook. Um, but take it a little step further and invite somebody out to church. And next Sunday, um, I want to talk about forgiveness and I want to look at how Jesus forgave. And if you can imagine somebody who had reason and wait behind a decision to say no, if anybody could have said no, I don't want to forgive, that could have been Jesus. Wrongly accused, perfect, and yet he chose to forgive and to say no. Forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they do. So next Sunday, I want to preach on that. Amen. How's everybody's week? Good, good. We've been uh, speaking a few weeks now on process. Last Sunday, Pastor Sean preached, and he shared on, on the process, and he, he shared on, on the, the passion of his heart. When God gives you something, are you prepared to give what God has given you? And what are you doing in, in, with that? And he, he referred to John the Baptist and how John the Baptist, John the Baptist's whole ministry was not about himself but was pointing to Jesus it said that he came to prepare the way and so can you imagine living a life where it has nothing to do with you but it has everything to do with Jesus and that was a challenging word last week and uh, I appreciated that Pastor Sean thank you process could you put up the the graphic the first one have you ever made a plan and it looks like that. A number of years ago, I, I, I had this crazy idea. Um, I wanted to get into shape. So I went to Costco and I bought myself a bicycle. And I figured, I'm not going to spend loads of money. I'll spend a few hundred dollars and I'll get a bicycle. And I'm going to actually figure out, first of all, if I can ride it. Thank you. You should expect that I know how to ride a bike, but yeah. Um, second of all, will I enjoy it? And before I spend a whole lot of money, I figured I would do that. So I bought this bike, and I started riding. And it took me about all of two weeks to realize I really enjoyed it. And what's... I, I'm a little competitive. Just a little. Don't ask my brother, Stephen John, because he may tell you I'm a little bit more than just a little. But I was riding this bike, and it was not designed for speed. It's not designed for mountains. It's, not, it's, it's just a plain bike, even though they call it a mountain bike. It has very little shocks. It has very little aerodynamics. It has, it's a heavy bike, but it was cheap. And so I'm riding this bike, and it doesn't go very fast, but I, I live near the airport, and I, which is nice and flat. I love riding flat. I, I love to ride flat. And I turn the corner, and I start going down Huntington, and I'm heading home, and I'm pedaling, and, and I can't go slow. When I'm into something, I'm going to do it with everything I've got. So I'm pedaling hard, and this guy passes me on a bike. He passes me as if he's not even breathing. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> and all of a sudden, this, and I catch a glimpse of him, 
as he passes. I mean, and it's just a glimpse. I don't get a good look at him. But what I caught from him was a white beard. (laughs) He was older than me. And he passed me. And by the time I realized it and it registered, because some of these things take a little bit of time to get from here down to here, back to here. By the time I realized an old guy passed me on a bike, I started to pedal harder because nobody passes David on a bike. And I pedaled for like 30 seconds and I just couldn't keep up with the guy. I mean, he left me in the dust. Well, That can be a little discouraging. That was my process. But if you turn to the next graphic, and we'll flip over a couple times, that was kind of where I was. Flip back to the first graphic. We have a place up country that we go to rest and relax, and it's up through the Fraser Canyon and up past 100 Mile, And I get in the vehicle one day, and sometimes crazy things come to my head. And I don't think, have you you ever said something without thinking? I get in the car, and from here to Hope, it's nice driving. It's easy driving. It's flat. Well, I get in the car, and I'm talking to Pastor Winona, and I look at her, and I've only been riding for just a few weeks. I look at her, and I say, wouldn't it be cool to ride up to the cottage? And it was like, I didn't even think. Yeah, she, she laughed and she said, no. This is what I thought it was like. I mean, I'll plan. I'll prepare. I'll do the, mi- I mean, I figured out the mileage from here to Hope, from here to Chilliwack, from Hope to Yale, from Yale to Boston Bar, Boston Bar to uh, Lillooet, uh, Lytton, from Lytton to Spence's Bridge, Spence's Bridge to Cash Creek, Cash Creek to Clinton, Clinton up to 70 mile and 70 mile to 100. I mean, I figured out all the mileage. I figured out the elevations. And I mean, and it looked really not that bad on paper. And then I would, as we were riding in the vehicle, I would just mentally, and and it's funny how you don't realize how steep a hill is when you're in a vehicle. You know, or when you take a picture, the the hill, it just looks like it's two-dimensional, but hills are hills. And so my plan was this, and me being me, I sucked, I sucked, I tricked, I, I coerced, and I worked at it, and I got Pastor Daniel to somehow agree to join me. <laughs> and then because misery doesn't just love two people, it likes a third company, I invited my nephew, who was all too eager to join us, and the three of us embarked on this trip. And this, I had it laid out on paper. I had a mileage to go. I had estimated speed. I had an idea of how far we go. But if you go to the second page, the second graphic, that's how it went. And in fact, even before I did the trip, I went with my nephew to a hill called Jackass Mountain. And I'm not saying crude language. That's the name of the mountain because when they did the gold rush, the jackasses would go up the mountain. So that mountain was named like that on purpose. It's not a name after me. It's not a name after a person. It's, it's, and, but it's a hill, and it has a summit on it because it's one of the highest points on that portion of the highway. So my nephew and I decided, you know, before I conquer this whole ride, I want to see if I can conquer this thing. So I conquered it. We went and we rode. And, and what I do enjoy about bike riding, I do not enjoy going up the hill, but I love going down the hill. And so we climbed this thing, and then we turned around, and I went down as fast as I could. And that was, oh, that was God was good to me. And then we did the trip, and it was funny how things, how you can have an idea in your head about a process and a plan, and in reality, it's a little different than what you expect. 
And I remember that was the second day. It took us three days to get to our destination. And that was the second day. The first day wasn't too bad. And near the end of our first day, we had about 15 to 20 people cheering us on as we got through to Yale. And me and my wisdom, I just drove right by them. I didn't even stop and say thank you. I just said hi, and I kept going. Sometimes you're so focused. Um, the second day introduced this, literally. And I thought it was going to be a straight line, but it introduced this. And I remember it vague, uh, very, very fondly. We climbed the, the summit to Jackass Mountain, the three of us, and we got to the top, and, and Renee and, and Linda had just so happened to be passing us at that point, so we stopped, and we had a bit of a celebration that we climbed this peak. And they took pictures, yeah, there's a picture that says the summit. And then right after that, we got to go downhill. Do you realize it only takes about a minute to go downhill that takes you 20 minutes to climb? And I still remember this. And when you get to heaven, you can ask God, you know, one of Pastor David's crazy moments. We got on the summit. We finished all our photo ops and our Instagrams and our selfies and everything else. And we got back on our bikes and we start to go down, and I'm loving it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, amen. And I go for about 35, 40, 50 seconds, and we turn a corner, and there's another hill. <laughs> and I literally yelled out loud, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> and sometimes in life, we might think everything's going to be fine, and, everything, and, and it looks great, and I can chart it out, and you get past one hurdle, and you're feeling good, and it's like I passed it, and you turn a corner, and you've gained speed, and you turn a corner, and all of a sudden, there's another hill. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the process. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the process, and I want to look at it from the example in the scripture, the example of Jacob. And I, I, I want to give you some thoughts. I've got about three or four Thoughts, and then I've got one growth principle. And every Sunday when I preach, I want to give you a growth principle that you can apply in life when you're going through a process. The first principle that I gave you a couple weeks ago was the principle of do not give up. And it says in Galatians that you will reap if you don't faint. And if you keep sowing, you will reap. So I've got a few thoughts this morning about the process. What is the process? The process for some of you might just be life. The process for some of you may be a new stage in life. Raising children. I don't understand why God has people who have never raised children before all of a sudden get somebody that poops and peeps, uh, pees and does all these crazy things and they've never prepared for it and all of a sudden they're given a child. I think God should have reversed engineered it. I mean, I love being a grandparent. But a parent, you don't have, your, your life, you, you, it's just the two of you. Everything's fine, and all of a sudden you get this bundle of joy. It's a bundle of joy sometimes, and it's a bundle of terror other times. For some of you, the process is, my expectation is, if you go back to the first graphic for me, Cora, I'm going to raise children, and I'm going to get them to the finish line, and it's going to be just like this. I read the book. <laughs> Dr. Spock, Dr. Dobson, all these other books, how to raise children. I've read them, and it's going to be like a piece of cake. Second graphic, they turn a month old, <laughs> and now I'm sleep deprived. They turn a year old, they're teething. They turn a year and a half old, and they're walking like there's no tomorrow. And my whole house has changed. I can't get into a doorknob now because I've had to change all my doorknobs. I can't go out like I used to go out because now I've got a little one. And then God blesses me with a second. 
I've got to be crazy. You're not crazy, Matthew. But life, sometimes we look at the process and we think it's just going to be just like this. And I believe in planning. I believe in setting out the chart. And in fact, it says in the Bible to plan, but it also says that God directs our steps. Don't not plan. Yes, plan, but then allow God to direct you as you make that plan happen. And, and so you have the process. It might be raising children. It might be marriage. They say love is blind, but marriage takes the blinders off. I mean, you have to live with somebody now that, that it was great. You know, I remember with, with Pastor Winona and my and we have a great marriage. I remember as a teenager, I would go to her house in Aldergrove, and we lived 15 minutes away. And my curfew was 11 o'clock, and I'd leave her place at 10.50 or 10.55. And if you did the math, 15 minutes would get me late. But there's this thing called a gas pedal. And I would leave Pastor Nelson's house where Pastor Winona lived, because that's her parents. <laughs> and I'd roll down the window. And I'd be screaming. I was so excited. So happy, so joyful. And, 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 and you get this process and you think, and then you get married and sometimes marriage is work. Everybody's careful. Is that a place to say amen or what? <laughs> you don't have to say amen. You don't, I don't want to have a bunch of marriage counseling this week. <laughs> But it's interesting sometimes, and what happens if you're not careful, you just get into the process and into the mundane or this or that, and, and you have to keep the marriage and the romance alive. This morning, I looked at my wife of over 31 years. I looked at her, and I said, you are beautiful. When was the last time, guys, you told your wife she was beautiful? Women, don't answer that. Process. You get married and sometimes you've always done it one way and your spouse has done it another way. I would arrive, if the meeting started at 6 o'clock, I'd arrive at 5.59 with 59 seconds. I'd be arriving one second early. It started... <laughs> She's already telling me, I'm late. But the meeting started at 6, so I'd arrive 5.59, 59, I'd arrive one second early. Pastor Winona did not arrive like that. She would arrive at about 5 o'clock. <laughs> Do you see a change in the process? Working together. Life is sometimes like that. The process to you might be getting over a hurt from a friend. Because nothing hurts like a hurt from a friend. I can take a hurt from somebody who doesn't like me. But somebody I've gone to battle with. Somebody I've cried with. Somebody I've put my arms around and we've worked through things. And then they say something about me. That's hard. And the process might look like this. Some of you, it might be, the process might be the day-to-day -day grind. We've had a crazy fall, a winter, and spring. Literally. Climate-wise, the sun came out this morning, and person after person after person comes through the doors. Oh, I love the sunshine. It's a, and I am with you there. But there's an aspect that literally, and literally, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be silly or facetious. There's actually something that happens with the atmosphere or the weather that literally affects people. And I'm not trying to be silly or anything. But the, and so for some of us, the day-to-day -day grind is literally 
a grind. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, and it's raining again. And the place I live in can only handle one person, and I've got six of us. The vehicle I have is, is cold. The temperature is cold. My clothes are wet. I don't have this. And, and the daily grind for some of us looks like this. For some of us, the process has been easy. It's been straightforward. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, the promotion that you were expecting, we gave it to somebody else. The building is changed. You thought it was going to look like this, but we decided to change it to look like this. You thought it was three steps and you're here, but we just added another two or three steps to get you there. What do you do in life when the plan looks nice and easy but the process is all over the map. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 28. And I want to read a couple passages out of Genesis 28 and Genesis 32. And I want to look at the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And Abraham is who we consider the father of faith. And he says that in Romans 5, that he believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. And there was a heritage that was passed down from Abram and Abraham down through to Isaac, his son. And from Isaac, it was passed down through Jacob. But Jacob's name means deceiver. Jacob's name meant supplanter, and he was a twin. And when he was coming out of the womb, he came out second. And when he came out, they said that his hand was on the heel of his brother. And it literally means heel grabber or supplanter, and that is literally what it means. And his brother Esau, according to the the rituals and traditions was the one who got the birthright. And they were twins, born minutes apart. And Esau went out one day and he was hungry and, and he, he was a guy of the field and he, he went and he was, he was like Tarzan. His physique was amazing. And I know that because Jacob actually put on a skin of a goat in order for his arms to feel like his brothers. So you have a picture of a guy that's an outdoors guy that's all it, and then you get this guy that's a pencil neck looking guy that's thin. And Jacob made this pot of soup, stew, this meal, and Esau comes in and he's hungry and he wants it. And Jacob says, you know what? I'll give you this meal, something that's temporary, for something that's lasting. And Esau said, you know what? My birthright isn't doing me any good right now, but the meal will. And he sold him his birthright over a meal. Don't ever sell your future over something that's temporary. Don't ever sell the destiny and the purpose and the blessing that's ahead of you for something that you're looking at in the immediate future and you can't get past a meal which you could prepare. That was extra. That's not in my notes. But Jacob tricked him. His name supplanter and deceiver. And he actually deceived and tricked Esau. And he got the birthright. And in Genesis 18. If you continue on. 
just before Genesis 18, Isaac is now getting old, and he says to his wife, I want to pass out a blessing. So I want my son, and he talks to his oldest son, Esau, and he says, go out in the field and get me a ram and make me a stew, make me something, and I'm going to bless you. And, and Jacob's mother hears that, and she goes to Jacob, and she says, listen, this is what your dad's going to do, and he's going to bless Esau, but I want you to get the blessing so they concoct this plan, and they make this meal and then they dress Jacob up and they put some stuff on his neck and they, they put the skin on his hands and, and he talks to his dad and his dad's eyes weren't good and so his dad would feel his hand and smell his neck and he says, you smell like Jacob, you feel like you don't, I mean, you smell and you, and you feel and you, the touch is like, like Esau, the voice isn't quite the same and, and, es and Jacob tricked his dad and Isaac blesses Jacob. And Jacob gets the birthright, the blessing. And shortly after that, Esau comes in. And he's upset, mad, ticked off, frustrated. Because Esau, uh, Jacob just stole the blessing. And he's crying out to his dad, can't you bless me? Can't you bless me? And Isaac says, everything I've said, I've said this, I'll bless you this way. And he spoke words, but all his words were in relationship to the blessing that he gave over Jacob. And Jacob hears this, and his mother hears this, and they know that he's angry. So jo Jacob leaves. And the process for Jacob is not a straight line. The process for Jacob is this. The process for Jacob is two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. Another step back. And sideways. This way. That way. And so his mom says, you better leave. And why don't you go to my family, which is back in, in close to a place called Haran, and, and, and head out that direction and find my family and stay there till Esau's temper is, is soothed. So this is the backdrop to Genesis 8, uh, 28. Sorry, I, don't, I think I said 18. It's Genesis 28. And I want to read about 10 or 12 verses, and we're going to start in chapter verse 10 of chapter 28. And Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. I find that interesting, that place Haran is actually where, Jacob, where Abraham was told to leave. God said, leave Ur of Chaldeas. He stayed in Haran, and then God said, no, I want you to go to Canaan, to the land I've showed you. And now all of a sudden, Jacob is heading back Sometimes your forward progress might actually seem like it's backwards. You might think you were supposed to go in that direction, but God is pulling you and directing you and sending you, and, and all of a sudden Jacob is going backwards. He's going backwards. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head, and he laid down in that place. And he had a dream. He had a dream. Some of you are going to start dreaming. Some of you are going to start dreaming. Dreaming is not bad. He has a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. This is God speaking to, to Jacob in a dream. I want you to catch that. Because sometimes God speaks to you in a nighttime season. And he gives you something in the night that is meant for the day. 
He might give you a word when it's dark outside that is for when it's bright outside. And sometimes we think we just got to get through that period, but don't ever stop when that period, don't discount God and not make him a part of that place or that season or that night. And it was in the night when it was dark and he's, he has a dream, the power of a dream. Your descendants, verse 14, shall be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Very similar to the words that were spoken over his, great, his, his grandfather, uh, Abraham. Very similar. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised for you. This is the beginning of Jacob's journey. This is kind of the beginning of his process. The process might look different for you and me, but there's usually a beginning or a starting point. And from this starting point, God speaks to him at the beginning and says the words that Abraham were spoken over him. And I'm sure his grandfather told his dad and his dad passed it on to him. And there was some heritage and some story. And all of a sudden, God speaks to him directly in a dream. And the words are similar to what he's heard from his grandpa. And he, and he wakes from his sleep and he, he says in verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. There's none other. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. I'm amazed that he got that all from a dream. We think sometimes things have to happen in reality. God will give you something in a dream. Write it down. Record it. Don't just let it go. Because when God speaks to you in a dream, this, this, what was spoken in a dream, had an impact in his life. So Jacob rose up early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top and he called the name of that place Bethel and the name that previously had been Luz. And then he made a vow and he said, if God be with me and will keep me on this journey, if he's going to keep me on this journey, on this process that I take and he'll give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house if I come back to my father's house, your process might be taking you there, but he started from his father's house and he left it. And he says, if God is with me through all this process and brings me back to my father's house, I'm going to give him a tenth of everything up that I have. Verse 22, and he set that up as a pillar and he said, this is God's house. This is the beginning of the process that we see in Jacob. I want us now to flip to Genesis 32. I'm trying to read these verses to give you a little bit of a picture and understanding. And as I go through the points when I talk about the process, I'll be referring back to these examples. Genesis 32. And verse 22. And about 20 years have passed. <laughs> The process, 20 years. We live in a drive-through society. I stop at one window. I don't even stop at a window. I stop at this board and somehow a voice comes out. What would you like? I'll have a filet of fish and fries and a Coke to drink. Add an extra hamburger on the side. Please don't email me. And... And then they say, come to the front window, the first window, pay, and then get your stuff at the second. And it's, it happens. If you have to order something and it takes more than 10 minutes to get it, it's like, I'm in the tribulation. Lord, help me. Drive through things. Microwave. 
And I thank God for conveniences, but sometimes the conveniences stop our character from developing. And we've grown up with conveniences. My generation, we've been blessed, we've been fortunate. But God's kingdom is a kingdom that is built and established in a different way. And here we see Jacob 20 years later. 20 years later. Worked seven years for his wife, and then his father-in-law tricked him and gave him the oldest daughter and not Rachel, whom he loved. And he worked another seven years and got to marry Rachel. And then it says he worked for another six years after that. And then he says, I got to go because every time I've negotiated, the wages changed and this changed. And, and, he, does, and he does this at night. And he's tricked and, and, and he, he negotiates with his father-in-law, Laban. And he says, listen, I'll, you can have all the good sheep. I'll just have the ones with, with stripes and, and this color or that. And, and he, he does this crazy thing and he whittles a stick and he puts it in front of them when they're feeding and when they're, when they're uh, mating. And they, they produce speckled and striped offspring. I, I still can't figure out how a piece of stick involves reproduction. But, but when God's involved, sometimes the crazy produces the powerful. If, God, if God's telling you to do something and you think, well, this is kind of weird. If God is directing you and, God's speak, and God blessed Jacob, I want to be very careful as to who I think is, what people do. And, and we judge people so quickly. But if God's involved, I mean, today if you saw a farmer whittling a stick and putting it in front of his, his herd, that's what he did. Twenty years passed. And now he's, get, he's leaving his father-in-law and he wants to go back to his family in Genesis 32 and if you go to verse 22 and it's, it's nighttime it's funny it's interesting how God will often speak to you at night we think it's time to put my head down and just zone out I would encourage you when you lay your head down at night you say God speak to me speak to me because subconsciously you have very little else going on and you're probably more receptive through the night than you are in the day when you're driving and you've got to negotiate this turn and that turn or you've got to talk to this person or that person. We can get so busy that within the first five minutes of waking up we've already said to God, I don't have time this morning, I'm behind. See you later. So why don't you say when you go to bed at night, speak to me. He spoke to him in a dream. The process started from a dream. It was a dream. And Jacob put all his eggs in this basket based on a dream. And I'll prove that to you in a few minutes. But in verse 22 of chapter 32, he says, And he rose that same night, and this is the day before he meets his brother Esau for 20 years Esau, and it says when he left Esau at the beginning, Esau had a grudge. Have you ever met somebody 20 years after you, you offended them? I mean, it can go a whole lot of different ways. And Jacob's looking, and he's freaked out. He is worried. 20 years ago, I stole from my brother. I, took the, I deceived him. In verse 22, it starts, and he says that he rose that same night, and he took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. And then he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daylight. He's alone. Sometimes in your process, you may feel alone. He was alone, and he actually did that on purpose. 
He sent everybody there, and he came across himself, and he wrestled all night. I'm sure that there were things on his mind. Because earlier on in the chapter, he sent guys doubt ahead of him to talk to Esau. And they came back and said, he's coming this way and he's got 400 people with him. I'd be praying. I'd probably have a restless sleep. And here he is at nighttime and he's wrestling with this man, it says, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw, the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh to, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And he said to him, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And Jacob says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's in this process 20 years have passed. He doesn't know how Esau is doing. And the only picture he has of Esau is he's coming your way with 400 guys with him. And he's wrestling at night and he says, you know what? I don't want to leave unless you bless me. And I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And look at how the response and this whole thing interacts in the narrative of that. And so he says to him, the man that's wrestling to him, what's your name? I'm not interested in you knowing my name. I want a blessing. We somehow put a material value to a blessing, but in the Hebrew mind, there was power and there was something about the name that God called you. And he says, what's your name? And he says, it's Jacob. And in verse 28, he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Powerful. Your name means that you've striven with God. It's one thing for you and me to work things out and to struggle over things. But he actually wrestled, prevailed with God. And that's his blessing. And then he asked him, he says, what's your name? And he says, why is it that you asked me my name? And he blessed them. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. I think sometimes we go through the process and God interacts with us and we just don't recognize that it's God. The first one, when he's in Bethel, he says, this place is holy. God was here and I didn't even know it. In his dream. Here he says, I've seen God's face. And I've survived. I believe God speaks to us so many times and we just don't hear him. So he named that place Peniel. I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And so the sun rose up on him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel don't eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Amazing. What, I, what do I see about some of the aspects of the process? The first thing, if you're taking notes, is you're not alone in the process. Jacob was alone or so he thought. And you might be alone physically, but God was there with him. In fact, God was with him in his dream. The first 20 years earlier, God met him in a dream. And that dream carried him. And 20 years later, he still remembers that dream. 20 years later, he's lived off that dream. And 20 years later, God meets him again. In the process, you might think you're alone. And sometimes there are things you must do alone, but you are not alone. You might physically be alone, but I want you to know that God is with you in the process. You're not alone. He left his family, had a God encounter. And I find this interesting. When he left 
he had an encounter. And when he started coming back, he had an encounter. When he left, God met him in a dream, spoke to him. He went 20 years. Then he starts his way back. And just before he meets his brother, and he's strategic, and his name is still Jacob at this moment. In that second, second encounter, in that dream, the night before he met Esau is when God changed his name. And he's prepared, and he says, I've got companies of groups of people and animals, and I'm going to send them forward. And what I'm hoping to do is 20 years of grudge, 20 years of anger, 20 years of buildup and frustration towards me. I'm hoping I can soothe him a little bit by offering him this. And if that doesn't work, I've got number two coming. And if number two doesn't work, I got, and, and I, Esau is going, what's, the, what's going on here? These are for you, my servant. We're servants. We, we worship, you know, and, and they're honoring him and giving to Esau. You're not alone. It says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. If you feel alone, get around people. If you're in the process and you feel like you're the only one around, get around people. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes, it says, because if one falls, the other one picks him up. You might be doing things and feeling like you're alone, but get yourself around people. It says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembly of the righteous like some do. And what is one of the major things that happens when people go through a struggle is one of the first things we do is we turtle and we turn and we don't do what is necessary to get ahead. And it hurts and it's hard. But don't stop going to church. Don't stop relating to that sister or that brother that supports you. Don't stop being accountable. Don't stop. Keep on. Surround yourself with somebody that will be there for your help. And it's amazing how helpful people are and will accept you and me the way I am, the way you are as we move forward. You're not alone, the process. The sec second thing I want you to see is allow the process to impact you. The first time I said, Trust God in the process. Sometimes it says trust the process, but I would suggest to you trust God in the process. Because if you get stuck on the process, sometimes we miss God or we remove him and now all of a sudden I'm putting my trust in this process. I'm putting my trust in this person that said this or this individual or this opportunity. And we need to put our trust in God. But there is an aspect of allowing the process to impact you. How did it impact Jacob? I'll tell you a few ways. The places he were, was experienced God, he changed the names of those places. The first one, he changed the name to Bethel. The second one, he changed it to Peniel. Do you have a memorial of where God has touched you? And instead of calling it Abbotsford, have you called it, this is the place of my salvation? Instead of calling it the Fraser Valley, do you look at it and say, that place is important to me because that's where God touched my life. This is where God healed me. This is where God pulled me out and broke the chains of addiction and freed me. This is where God gave me hope. This is where God came in a dream and he spoke to me. And he said, I'm with you and I'm not going to leave you. And you're going to, descendants are going to be large. This is the place. This is where God's house is. And this is where I will come back and I will worship him here. And it impacted Jacob. In fact, in Genesis 32, before he goes to sleep that night, in verse 12, Genesis 32, verse 12, Genesis, Jacob is talking to God. In verse 9, he starts praying to him. And in verse 12, he says, For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. He's referring to a dream he had 20 years before. 
And he brings it and he says, you said. I'm going to say something here. And I want you to hear me. Because I don't want to be disrespectful. But when God gives you something, you hold it and you grab it and you claim it and you own it. And then you wake up in the morning and you say, you said, you said that my descendants would be numbered greater than you can number. You said you'd never leave me. You said this. God's not afraid of that. And I think sometimes we get so timid and afraid. But when God, your father, says something to him, be like a child and go back to him, pull on his legs, pull on his pants, get his attention, and say, you said you'd take me to the store after church. Take me to the store. You said you would bless me. Bless me. You say, you can't do that. That's what Jacob did, and it was 20 years later. Some of us aren't even 20 years old. When God gives you something, hold it. Grab it. Just like Brother Howard was sharing in in the time before the offering, that we've got to hold on and hang on to what God has given us. If God's given you a dream, remind him of the dream. You say, oh, I can't do that. That's what Jacob did. And what's the worst that can happen? God will say, that's enough. I don't think my God's like that. He's a good father. I think sometimes as believers, we don't... Man, watch a child. Watch a child. Because it says in the Bible, if you as parents know how to take care of your kids, don't you think I do it a little better than that? Dad, you said... Dad, you said. Dad, you said. Dad, you said. That's what he says here. And he's rehearsing something from 20 years earlier. Let the process impact you. You're not alone in the process. And God will give you a dream. He'll give you a vision. He'll give you a word. Hang on to that word. And if you have to tell him again in a six months, in a year, in 20 years, you keep that word and you say, your word says, you told me. You woke me up. You stirred me. He told me when I was, before I was six years old, he said, David you're going to pastor I remember that day and I still remember and I rehearse that now what has he told you when you're a child sometimes kids hear better than us parents allow the process to impact you he changed the names of the places he walked with a limp He had a constant reminder of what God had done with him. And it wasn't that he used that limp as an excuse. That limp was a reminder that God was with him. God touched him and God blessed him because he wrestled and he prevailed with God. Have you prevailed with God? That challenges me. Oh, I couldn't do that to God. I want to honor him. I'm all about honor. But it says without faith, it's impossible to please him. And what's faith? Faith is seeing things that you don't see and calling them as they they are. Faith is speaking what God says and saying, that's what I'm going to hold on to. I would rather have believers, and, and this might get a little scary, And there may have to be some corrections as we walk forward, but I would rather have each one of you go crazy and expect something crazy and ridiculous from God than you just go home and say, oh, well, that was another Sunday. I would rather have people that are expecting the crazy and we have to say, well, you know what, that's your flesh. I'd rather have that than you go home and just say, it's not for me. I'd rather have you say, you know what, I had a dream. I don't understand it. But God said he's never going to leave me. I'd rather have you say, you know what, I had a dream. And I rose up and everybody else bowed down towards me. 
I'd rather have somebody say that, Joseph, than somebody push it away and say, God doesn't speak to me. And I would rather, and this, this might get scary and this might get challenging and this might get a little headachey, but I would rather see a bunch of believers going after things from God than a bunch of believers just warming a chair on a Sunday morning and shouting amen and laughing at my jokes. I'd rather you be serious than laugh at my jokes if it's hitting you in your heart and you walk through these doors and you say, no, God touched me and what he said 20 years ago, I'm going to him and I'm saying, you said and I'm not going to stop and I'm going to hold on and I'm going to say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. He said that to God. The nerve! Allow the process to impact you. Sometimes you will walk with scars. Sometimes you will have a limp. But God didn't leave them. It will either make you bitter or it will make you better. God's hand on your life and the way that he works with you and the way process happens in life will either make you bitter or it will make you better. The third thing that I see here is that you want to get everything you can out of the process. Everything you experience. Extract and pull everything out of that. What is God saying in this moment? In this hurt? In this frustration? In this indecision? In this uncertainty? In this setback? With this child not behaving the way I think they should? With my mate not doing what I think they should? With my children behaving like this? What are you saying, God? What, what I want to get everything out of this process, out of this moment? And that was Jacob hanging on and he wrestled all night. It wasn't no Roman Greco three rounds of two minutes and then the bell went. It was all night. Are you fighting and wrestling and holding on? Extract everything you can from the process. God gave him a promise in 28:15 Genesis 28:15 he gave him a promise and in Genesis 32 29 uh, verse 12 Jacob rehearsed that promise from 20 years before don't and and get everything out of the process in the process God changed Jacob's name don't allow somebody to change your name allow God to change you he changed Abram's name, God did, to Abraham. He changed Sarah, his wife's name, to Sarah instead of Sarai. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. And God says, no. I'm the one who changes the names. Don't speak somebody over something to somebody that you don't want to see happen. Speak over your mate. I love you. You're beautiful. You're awesome. You're great. Don't speak over them in bad terms. Speak to them in glowing terms. Speak over your children, life. God spoke over Jacob and he changed his name. And in closing, I'll give you one principle for growing in the pro process. And that is to hold on to the promise. Don't let it go. When God gives you something, no matter how ridiculous it may seem to you, hold on to what he says. Don't let it go. You might be in the valley in that process. You might be on the top of the mountain thinking you're arrived. You might be wrestling that night. You might be, un you might be uneasy. You may be restless. You may be worried, you might be ecstatic, you might be happy. Wherever you are in that process, hang on and hold on and don't let go of what God has spoken to you.
The process isn't the same for everyone. It looks different. But I think there's principles that we can see. That we see God working. And principles that we can apply working through the process. Hold on. In Hebrews 10, it says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope or our faith. For he who promised is faithful. Amen? I'd like to close. Yes? Pardon me? Yep. Amen. Do you want to stand up? Pastor Nelson's asked for prayer. We're going to have a special song to close. So I want you guys to get ready. Pastor Nelson and Pastor Louise are heading north to Prince George and doing some ministry. Can we have some people come forward? Pastor Sean. Everybody is welcome to come forward.